Welcome to the Horror Filmmaking Academy. Learn how to make a killer movie by avoiding the pitfalls of indie horror filmmaking. And now for your host, Rubel Raphael Ahmed. Hello and welcome to the Horror Filmmaking Academy. Today I'm talking to an award-winning short horror filmmaker called Sean Van Lionhorst. Um, he has some awesome advice to give you guys in terms of production and post-production. So look out for that before we get to it. Bit of housekeeping. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Just type in Super Rubes, and usually I'm there um, posting horror news and articles I found online. Uh, maybe talking a little bit about what I'm up to, and also what guests I've got on the show. Um, you can use those platforms to send me questions you want answered by the guests, or recommend me a movie, and I'll be putting that at the end of the show. If you'd prefer, you can email me. I'm superrubes at gmail.com. And you can also go to YouTube and just type in superrubes, and you can see the stuff I've been working on, some of the short horror films and things like that. I'll be sure to put all that stuff in the show notes, so check that out. If you find this episode valuable, please uh, rate and review it on iTunes. And if you feel extra generous, um, share it across your social media platforms. Things like this really help spread the word and allow me to get some awesome guests for you guys. Make sure you stay tuned till the end of the show. Um, I'll be recommending you a couple of movies. So without further ado, let's go straight into the main interview. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Sean Van Lionhorst. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. No worries. Um, so obviously I got in contact with you after I saw your short film, Don't Turn Me Off. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's awesome. I really like it. Um, so I thought I might as well get in the show and talk a bit about it. But before we do that, uh, maybe you can give us a bit of a history lesson, um, how you got into horror filmmaking. Sure. Um, well, yeah, I've, I've always loved horror movies, um, but I never thought that I would be making them necessarily. At least when I started with filmmaking, I, uh, I went to film school first in the Netherlands, and then I moved to Prague to uh, finish it here at the Academy. And... Um, I started out just making comedy sketches, you know, and more dramatic films until I was writing, I think it was my first year, um, end of year film. And I had a script ready and it was kind of a comedy, a weird story about some, uh, some guy that thinks his family were aliens. Anyway, I presented it to my teacher and, uh, for some reason we came to the topic of horror films and he said that nobody in the Academy, at least in the last, well, he thought a decade had done a single horror movie yet. And I took that as a challenge. I was like, all right, let's trash this script. So I threw it away. And that's when I wrote my very first horror short ever uh, called Banshee, which um, I kind of connected that to my Irish side. Uh, My mom is Irish, so I I thought of this legend that I used to hear about as a kid and wrote about it. And when I saw, when I completed that movie and uh, I saw how much people loved it, you know, and clearly it, 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 it worked, it frightened some people, it frightened my teachers, I kind of got stuck in it. You know, I loved it so much, loved seeing, um, well, not necessarily loved scaring people, but I loved seeing, you know, this immediate great reaction from everybody that saw it. And um, yeah, I just, I just got completely obsessed and stuck in that. Cool. And um, so I've read um, a little bit about you. Um, before you got the interview going and I see that uh, you worked on professional sets and then you went yeah. off to do an MA in directing and screenwriting yeah um, I mean most people obviously would do it the other way around so what uh, made you go from a professional set to doing a master's well I mean on the professional set I only did you know set dressing and then and PA um, it, that, that came from my parents you know I was looking for a way how to get into filmmaking other than watching YouTube videos and doing it myself with a handy cam and friends 
And uh, my parents said, well, how about you, you know, try to send some messages to people, see if you can get some experience by working on, uh, on a professional set, which luckily enough, I uh, got the opportunity a few times to, um, to, uh, to help out, which was, uh, you know, an amazing experience. But I did still, still feel like, I did still feel the need for film school, not necessarily that, that you know, that I think every filmmaker should do film school, but for me, I felt like I wanted to get some immediate practical experience, you know, as well as some teachers that would immediately evaluate me. So that's why I decided to still do, to do film school. Um, but I learned a lot, I learned a lot from, uh, those, those professional sets. You know, I saw the, I kind of got the atmosphere, you know, of, of the busyness, the chaoticness of it. And, um, and then I just wanted to do it for myself, um, with film school in the middle. So don't turn me off. Um, so I saw that on uh, the Facebook group, uh, Matflix, I think it was. Um, yeah. And I was instantly like taken away by it. I've seen it like six, seven times now. Um, really enjoyed it. So I just want to ask where the concept for that came from. Um, well, it came from two, two things. I, um, first and foremost, uh, it came from my kind of love of uh, the old horror movies, most uh, particularly Psycho. Um, and in general, you know, the works of Alfred Hitchcock, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of. Um, I wanted to kind of pay tribute to that, uh, which is, the, you know, the film that you see in Don't Turn Me Off on the TV screen. It, yeah. It's very much supposed to, you know, emulate Psycho. Yeah, it's very similar. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, we tried to, to goof around with that and try to, you know, kind of pay homage to that. But at the same time, I thought it would be funny if, I could play on that feeling that you get after watching a horror movie and, you know, you're walking through your house to the bathroom and you're afraid to turn on the lights or turn off the lights, you know, and you, and you kind of, you know, every small sound in the house, you know, gives you, gives you, um, you know, the goosebumps. And I thought, what if I connect the two in a way, you know, what if you turn off the horror movie when you're too frightened in the middle of it and then, you know, the horror starts to become quite real. Yep, perfect. And um, so I've noticed that your previous short films, Woods and Banshee, um, they're much uh, longer in t- terms of uh, runtime. Um, and uh, Don't Turn Me Off, it's about three, uh, about five minutes. Um, is there any reason you made it uh, much shorter than the others? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I learned quite a hard lesson with Banshee and with, with Woods. Um, I mean, I made Banshee and Woods when I was still in film school. And I wanted to do something longer. I, you know, I wanted to tell a big story. And, and I wouldn't call it a mistake, but I wanted to cram as much story as I could into a short film, which sometimes works and sometimes it doesn't. And what I noticed is that even though the people that fully watched it would enjoy it, um, I still felt like a lot of people aren't, you know, they're not, when they want to see a short film, they want it to be short. So 30 minutes, I felt like was just too long. And that was the most common, I would say, criticism that I got on that movie. That, it's, that even though people liked it, it was a very long movie. And people aren't just ready to, you know, if, if they, they're not, you know, just have 30 minutes on YouTube to watch a single film. You know, everything's quick these days. So when I came to my, uh, to my third uh, short film, I purposely tried making it as short as possible with the aim to keep it around five minutes. Um, not just for people's attention span, but also because I wanted to send it to as many festivals as possible, where as well, they, they kind of take 
preference to shorter format films. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, for me, like uh, in amongst everything else I'm doing in my daily life, uh, when I'm looking for short films every now and then I get a little break. I'm like, let me check out a couple of short films. And if they're above like anything above maybe eight or nine minutes, even that um, feels too long. I'm like, oh, if I can, if I watch this, I'll run out of time, blah, blah, blah. So I don't end up watching it unless someone specifically recommends it to me. But when it's like five, six minutes long, I'm like, yeah, I might as well watch it. You know, no harm in that. Um, yeah. I've seen so many of those shorter ones. I think it comes a bit from um, a bit from being overly ambitious when you're starting out. You know, like you want to you want to tell you you want to show your movies to everybody. You want to tell as big a story as you can, and you kind of assume that everybody will just want to watch that the whole thing, except that they don't. <laughs> especially especially on YouTube, where as you say, you know, you, you want to take a small break. You, you look at there's some cool videos online and. You, you know, I don't think that everybody's immediately in the mood to sit for 30 minutes and watch something. So it was, uh, yeah, it was lesson learned. But, um, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if you can uh, disclose this, but um, Don't Turn Me Off looks really expensive. What was the ballpark budget of that film? Um, it was around a thousand euro. Really? Yeah. I thought it'd be a lot more than that. <laughs> you, no, did a, actually, you did a good job. Thank you. Um, yeah, if, if I mean, if I, if I can, if I would split the budget, well, like, where did the money go to? It, it really mostly went into catering, actually. Really? I mean, I, I mean, we, we, we made this film with a lot of help from friends and from talented people that I know from film school. For example, the DOP, he's a very good friend of mine. He's the same one that shot Woods. Um, well, he comes with his own camera. So that that's quite fortunate for me. Um, and all the other people that I gathered, they were all same like me, starting filmmakers, people fresh out of film school or still in film school, people that were enthusiastic to help out. So basically for no pay. And then the best thing you can do for them is get amazing catering. So I did that. You know, there was a thousand euro catering on set for two days. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything else, yeah, the, I, we, we put a little bit into, of course, the qu- equipment rental, a bit for the location. Um, but other than that, uh, yeah, there wasn't much to, uh, to pay for. And, um, was it the red scarlet you were using for the, for the camera? Yes. 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 It was. Um, how, how was your experience with that? Cause I mean, I, I've heard it's not great in low light. Exactly. It's, um, you know, it's a great camera. It gives you, it gives you 4k, uh, 4k quality. So it's, 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 it's a beautiful, it gives you a beautiful image. I like that it gives you a little bit of grain on the image as well. I mean, it is digital grain, but for some reason it gives that that nice grainy feeling to it. But as you said, it, it it's not great for low light conditions. And since Don't Turn Me Off is pretty much entirely set at nighttime with um, um, uh, with the only light sources being the moonlight, you know, coming through the coming through the window as well as some lightning. Um, it's it's a challenge, so we had to pick our our kind of our light sources carefully. Um, even though the film is is quite dark, or at least it seems like it's very dark, a lot of that comes from the grading. We um, we we just blasted you know the windows with some two K lights um, and put even stronger lights for the lightning that we just sh- shined directly onto the actors from uh, from outside and. Um, and then we just pulled everything down in the grading. You know, that's the thing when you shoot on 4K raw, 
uh, it gives you a lot of options afterwards during the grading to pull down those shadows, um, to, to make everything as dark as you want. So that's how we did it. You know, I think that, that, that for us was pretty much the only way to do it. If we, if we would have actually shot it in the conditions that you now see, you know, that, that, that in the darkness that it appears to be, we wouldn't have been able to, uh, to achieve that with the Red Scarlet, at least. Yep. And how big was your crew and how long was the actual shooting of the film? We shot over the course of two nights. Um, we literally split the, the, the shooting days according to what you see in the movies. There's two main scenes in the film. We've got the living room part in the hallway. So we shot one day for the living room, one day for the hallway. And I had a team of, let me think, I had one producer on set. I had one production assistant who kind of, well, played a, a role of everybody. You know, she was continue, continuity, um, you know, taking care of the catering, etc. cetera. Uh, we had the makeup lady, um, a DOP with the two camera assistants. And yeah, that was pretty much it. Oh, quite small. Pretty, yeah, pretty small. I mean, yeah, and the, I, again, this comes down to the budget being extremely limited. Um, you kind of have to. You know? <laughs> it it would have been much more expensive if I really w wanted to hire a full crew to do this. So we, we all had to pull our weight. You know, I, I mean, I wrote and directed this film, but at the same time, I was you know, carrying the lights everywhere, helping them set it up. Um, uh, you know, you, you all had to do everything. There weren't, all, even though the, the roles were defined, I wouldn't say that people stuck to that specifically like you normally would on a more uh, expensive set. So, um, so you were saying you used like 2K lights and I think you used some Dido lights and stuff. Um, yeah. Did you consider using LEDs? I mean, I know a lot of indie and short films nowadays use LED lights. We had an LED simulating the light from the TV screen. That was the, in, in, in the two shots, the opening frame and the closing frame where we see um, the main character and in the end we see this couple sitting on the couch. The light simulating the TV light, that's an LED light. Okay, I mean, would you consider doing uh, more with LED lights or is that something that you'd rather stick away from? As in, like, um, your, your main light sources. Is there any way you would have used LED for those? Pooh, good question. I really couldn't tell. I, w I, w I wouldn't say I have the experience, um, you know, enough using them to, uh, mm. to say that. I wouldn't be against it. I mean, I'm totally open to any new technology or, you know, w whatever we can use, but um, I, I couldn't tell at the moment. For you know, for for what it did on our shoot, where it just was a small light simulating the TV light, it it was great. Yeah. Um, would it be able to you know uh, substitute the 2K? I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that would give us the same effect. Cool. Um, so obviously something that you've already touched on, and you've put some pictures out online about the grade. Um, I think that grade's amazing. But what I wanted to know was, um, so did you shoot everything with the flat uh, color palette? And if so. Um, I heard that causes some issues in focusing um, in the camera. Is that true? Yes. We normally always shoot with an as flat color palette as we can. Although in this case, we had to make sure that the moonlight was a bit bluer than all the other lights. Um, main reason for that was because the lightning has to be of a different color than the actual moonlight. And I usually, for all of my movies, pick a main color that I that I kind of linked to the theme of the film so for woods it was very clearly the color green and for this one I chose blue um, 
And that means that everything that we put into the set design was quite blue. So she is, you know, she has a blue blanket. She's sitting on a kind of blue tinted couch. Um, the, the paintings in the background are blue. You know, and there's a whole bunch of kind of props that I like putting in the shots that just give it, that fill the frame with the primary color. But since I did that and our main lighting source is supposed to be blue moonlight, that kind of clashed together. So we couldn't shoot it as, um, as uh, white, you know, as neutral as we wanted to. So in this case, we, uh, we put some, um, some, some blue filters on the lights, you know, to give the moonlight a bit of a more bluer tint. And uh, everything else was shot quite, uh, quite neutral. Um, about the focusing, I'm not so sure. I've, I've not experienced any problems with that myself, at least on, not on my sets. Okay, um, it's just something I read online. I was looking at um, using like C-Log for filming and they said that one thing that the, the negative about it was when you do it, it's harder to focus on stuff. But I've not really heard too many people complain about it. So maybe it's just a bit of misinformation. I mean, yeah, you know, in general, I like shooting everything quite neutral simply because I don't normally go for a natural look of the movie. I, I think I like making things a bit bigger than life. So the moonlight can be a bit bluer than it normally is. You know, I think the colors can be a bit more vibrant. Um, I, I like, for example, in woods, I put a much more green tint over the whole film. So for that, shooting at neutral is quite, is, is nice. You know, it helps you easily adjust the, um, the, 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 the grade, you know, to a color that you want rather than shooting everything very blue and then deciding afterwards that you wanted it to be green, hmm. that would be, that could be problematic. Yeah. So for my purposes, I think it works, but if you want to go maybe for more neutral feeling, I think it might be, yeah, it could be problematic then. Cool. So um, what about post-production? I mean, how long was the process for that? So that was quite long. Um, we spent about a month and a half on the VFX uh, for the, for the creature. And um, some other minor retouches, you know, putting in the, the image on the TV screen. We didn't actually have that on set. So um, we had to, we had to composite that. Um, but most of the work went into, went into the sound design and the music. And that took about four months. I would say about two and a half months for the actual sound work. Um, just a lot of playing around, you know, with the intensity of the storm. Um, playing around with where we want it to be silent or you know, quiet or where we want to really pump up the volume of all the sound effects and uh, the music. Um, and then we played around for about a month and a half with uh, the actual score going from very, very over the top and dramatic as the music used to be, you know, in the fifties to kind of dialing that down and making a bit more, making it a bit more modern sounding. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you say that. Um, so I, I made two short films. Um, I shot them. Uh, sorry, shot them in uh, December, mm. and for both of them, um, I kind of uh, had a couple of shots right at the end that needed VFX, just one shot each. Um, so I I I done the films and I sent them out. Uh, once I done the edit, I sent out um, the clips for graphics and the rest of the film to the sound guy, the sound dude, and the com like his and the comp uh, composing of the music was done instantly. Like the guy did <laughs> it so quick and it sounded amazing. Um, well, in terms of VFX, one of them took about three months, and the other one I'm still waiting for. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I, for me, it's been literally the other way around. The sound is what was done super quick, and then the VFX is taking ages. I mean, I would say normally the VFX would would take quite a bit longer, yeah. But uh, for us, you know, we had a 
we needed to just stabilize the the creature, you know, give her a black and white distortion effect. So it wasn't that hard, but I would say normally, yeah, the VFX would take much longer. Yeah. Um, so just a couple more things. Uh, um, have you sent the film to any festivals yet? Yeah, we have. Yeah, we we were we did a festival run for about a year. Um, I mean, we completed this movie in two thousand end of two thousand sixteen, and um, it just finished its festival run December two thousand seventeen. Um, it had its premiere at the New York Horror Film Festival, which we were quite proud of to get into that. And uh, the other bigger one that we managed to get into was Monster Fest in Australia. Nice. Um, that was that was quite a yeah a fantastic experience to uh, see our film play there. Did you go to them? No, 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 no. I wasn't able to, unfortunately. Oh, that's a, that's a shame. <laughs> would would have loved to, but luckily we did get a lot of kind of immediate feedback from it. You know, from a lot of people, it yeah. got some great reactions coming out of it. So we did we did get you know some word from how it did, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, it, it wasn't possible for us to to either fly to New York or to Australia hopefully next time yeah yeah definitely um, so uh, do you plan to keep making a few more shorts or are you thinking about feature next well actually I'm at the moment I'm uh, finishing up my next short film it's uh, it's by far the biggest thing that I've done um, I, I'm not sure how much uh, how much research you did about me or if you saw it already um, it's it's um, I'm, I'm now partnering with a Dutch video game franchise called uh, Rusty Lake um, they've made a lot of free and uh, successful iOS and um, Steam games, and they they contacted me after they saw Woods, and they said that their themes and their characters were very similar to uh, to mine, and they said, "How about uh, we meet, and perhaps you would like to shoot kind of a live action, fifteen minute trailer for our next uh, game?" So we've been uh, we've been working on that for the past year. Uh, by far my biggest and uh, most professional project, I would say. And um, yeah, we're currently in the post-production phase. We just finished the, the shoot uh, last week. And um, we aim to launch that the end of August. Awesome. And um, are you going to think about features after that? I, mean, I think you should be making feature horror films. You're a pretty talented that, dude. That is absolutely the, the next step. I mean, I, I, these days I work with the same production people, like the same producer. Um, they're, they're called The Lab. And uh, all of us, you know, we we all kind of graduated from film school at the same time. And we're all now in the stage of our well filmmaking career, I would, see, would say, where we, we've done quite a few short films. We've been on quite a few sets and we feel like we should just do it. You know, we should just make this feature film good or bad. We should just get it out there, our first one, and see uh, what reactions are. So you're absolutely right. It's the, it's the next step. For sure, we have some ideas already, but uh, yeah, we're going to be be developing that for uh, for the next year or so, and hopefully be able to finance and shoot it in the the year after. Awesome. So a couple of quick fire questions before I let you go. Um, so if you had to give one piece of advice to upcoming filmmakers today, what would it be? Um, I would say. You know, coming coming from film school and going to a lot of these screenings by filmmakers, I always see a lot of movies that have the same, I would say, problem for me. And that is that they always have a great story, perhaps, great acting, maybe even great camera work. But 
what you put in the camera, in front of the camera, that is inanimate. For example, your location, your location design, it's as important to me than getting the right actors and getting a fancy camera. You know, I would rather shoot with a 5D, a Canon 5D or, you know, a, a smaller camera or an iPhone, yet still pay attention to which location I choose, what the set dressing is going to be. Um, I think that a lot of starting filmmakers don't pay attention to those, those things, whereas I think it helps so much. You know, your money is on the screen, not behind it, if that makes sense. So I wouldn't spend that much on the actual lighting with the camera. I would first, you know, put it in what's going to be in front of the camera and then think about how are we going to shoot it, with what camera, what technology, etc. Awesome. Very good advice. Um, so what are your three favorite horror films of all time? Um, well, one is a very recent one, The Babadook. That one took me by surprise and uh, quite blew me away. Uh, it's an Australian film, if you, if you don't know it. Oh, no, no. I, I've, I've seen it. Um, I remember watching it. See, the thing is, I did enjoy it the second time I saw it. Uh, the first time, there was so much buzz and hype around it. Uh, when I went to watch it, I don't think, I, th- I think my expectations were too high. But then when I watched it again, once it was released um, for home release, I enjoyed it a lot more. <laughs> but yeah, it's a really good film. Yeah, it's excellent. It's one it's of those really movies. Really good that, acting uh, as well. That, that tr- yeah, absolutely. And one of those movies where they paid special attention to the set design. That movie, if you watch it again, pay attention that they chose blue as the primary color. And you, I think you can find a blue object or a blue piece of cloth in every single frame in the entire movie. Oh, wow. Somebody paid very, very careful attention to that. Why? Because blue is the color of grief, which is the main theme of the movie. It was actually one of the movies that inspired me to always pick a color for one of my movies. It's quite impressive if you watch it again. Cool. Um, other two, Alien, the first one. Classic. Kind of true masterpiece. I mean, Ridley Scott is a major inspiration for me anyway, but it's just an incredible film. Um, yeah, and the last one might not come as a surprise, but Psycho. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you'd be saying that. <laughs> So um, finally, um, if people want to follow you, um, keep up with what you're doing on social media, uh, maybe you can tell us how they can do that, maybe a Twitter handle or Instagram, anything like that. Um, yeah, I've got my official Facebook page. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Sean, John, Sean Lionhorst, if you want. Um, if you just Google, Google my name, I'm sure you'll find my official Facebook page, which is um, where these days I'm you know, p- posting updates for my new uh, Rusty Lake short film. Um, that's pretty much how you can stay in touch. Cool. I mean, I'll put that in the show notes because uh, your name is uh, pretty difficult to spell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, thank you very much for coming on um, and good, good luck with uh, the, the trailer that you're working on at the moment. Thank you very much. No worries. And that was my chat with Sean Van Lionhorst. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, just before I let you go, time to recommend a couple of movies. The short film, uh, no surprise here, don't turn me off. Um, it's by the director we just spoke to and it's worth watching. And instead of a feature, I'll be recommending a series that I just watched on Netflix called Remind. Um, it's about, um, I think, 12 Japanese schoolgirls that wake up and tied up to a dinner table and have to figure out what's going on because every 10 or so minutes, one of them vanishes. Um, so that's it for today. I'll see you next time.